To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new podcast. So this is the second part to the Stephen Rosso podcast. Uh, Stephen Rosso, he's just a wealth of knowledge. He was a guide for years, and so he's got so much great insight into to grizzly bear safety. Uh, we talk about lightning. I think we get into, let's see if I can remember what it's called, like the blue flame or something wild that he saw in the backcountry. That was really interesting. We talk high country mule deer, scouting, um, just a, a great conversation through and through. And I just love comparing notes with these guys and seeing – you know, this, the similarities and, and also seeing the contrasts and, and, and being able to discuss it. I learn a lot from them, and it's putting out really good information into the world. So I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will, too. Sponsor for today's show is Onyx. Onyx is just a great company. They've just changed the way that I hunt and scout. Uh, to be able to pull up their Onyx map systems and to be able to to look at topography and, and aerial imagery and to be able to look at private and public and, and then all their overlays that they have. They have a Eastman's overlay that has all our MRS section in it. They have uh, overlays for wildfires so you can study hunting the edge of fires or hunting fires after they're a, a couple years old with all the new growth in them. Uh, there's just so much information there and I'm always learning more about their apps. There's just so much you can do. Uh, your GPS and your phone will still work with the Onyx system. Um, it, 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 you catch your maps or save your maps, and then your GPS still works in your phone to show you exactly where you're at. And, and I like that you can, you can make moves in real time, that, that I can look at their maps and, and transpose current information, where I'm seeing mule deer on, on what face, uh, what slope hillside, and then I can look for that same slope within that mountain range and decide that's the next place I'm going to go. Uh, I love scouting on my computer, on my phone. They also have chips for your GPS. Just a, a, a great company and a huge asset to us Western hunters and whitetail hunters all over too. Use them as well. I know my buddy Clint Casper is constantly using Onyx for all his whitetail scouting and hunting in Ohio. So uh, make sure to check them out. And thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, over there at Eastman's, yeah, we're just all busy getting into our hunts. I know um, antelope archery starts in Wyoming August 15th. It also starts here in, in Montana. Uh, on the 15th of August. So um, I know all the guys are getting really excited about that. We have some good tags in the office, some good hunts planned. Just got back from that epic Alaska adventure, able to harvest a nice caribou and, and put it all to film. I can't wait to see the footage all put together and share it with you guys. It, it's uh, it, it's probably some of the best work that I've ever done. It's just amazing. And uh, I'm just getting ready to jump in the truck, headed to Nevada, going to go hunt high country mule deer, my absolute passion and love. So um, I I couldn't be more pumped. Life doesn't get any better for me than, than hunting season, August, September, you know, well, I guess it's August through January, but, uh, August, September is definitely the prime time month. So, uh, I can't wait to see what I'm able to turn up and, and turn in as far as footage. And I, I can't wait to see what these, these other guys put out, uh, from Eastman's, you know, um, they're, they're just so good at it. Uh, Dan Picard's videography has just evolved over the years. And I just, I just love the, the, the footage that he's putting out on that beyond the grid and on Eastman's hunting TV. Um, so excited to see the season. Um, I better get this podcast 
podcast rolling so I can load up the truck and get on the road so I'm not driving all at night. But uh, uh, I really appreciate the support, you guys. Uh, you'll enjoy this conversation. So second part of me and, and Stephen Rosso. Here we go. Yeah, I mean, you know, like the term, you know, a glutton for punishment, I think might just go right coincide with a backcountry hunter. I mean, hands and fists, because, it, you know, one part of you, you think of these, mis you look on these things on Google Earth or on a topo map, and it just looks horrible or miserable and steep and nasty. But yet there's that little party inside your mind saying, I mean, I'm going to go do this. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm telling myself it's going to be miserable, but I know I'm going to go do it. And yeah. uh, it's so, you know, I think anyone that ha gets that backcountry hunting bug, it just it, you know, punishment is it's something you kind of take pride in when it's all said and done. You know it's going to hurt and be miserable, but, you know, the enjoyment when it's happening, even though you're hating life at some points of it, is, you know, you, you know you love what you, what we're doing up here. It's just, you know, every step you take, you're covering country and seeing something new, and you just you never know what's going to happen next. Yeah, you, um, as a backcountry hunter, you have to, you know, in a public land hunter, like it takes a lot of hard work to be successful. And so you have to embrace the suck. You have to embrace the grind. <laughs> and like my wife always tells me that I love to suffer, you know, it's like a, you know, and right now I'm, I got all my, my training ramped up and I'm trail running like a maniac, but you know, and then I'll go on, on a long trail run in the middle of the day in 95 degree heat because I get to suffer a little bit more, you know? And so you start to yeah. kind of almost embrace the suffering and, and yeah, it's a big part of these hunts in the backcountry. You know, they're, they're not, they're not easy catered hunts. Like if, if you want that, you're, you're probably going to have to pay for some private property somewhere because the public land hunting, like you, you got to learn to embrace that grind and embrace that suffering. And it, you are going to be miserable at times, downright miserable, wondering what you're doing up there, but you have to continue with the process because the payoff is 10 times of that suffering, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, there's just something about you get on top of the side of a mountain and you're setting up your tent and a mule to your bed as you dig it out to make it big enough for your tent and wondering what in the hell am I doing up here? And, but then, you know, daylight comes and th that thought is completely gone. And all that's on your mind is I'm, how happy you are to be sitting up there. And that's where you want to be. Yeah. You get a stalk or a play or a close encounter and it's so thrilling, you know, and, and that's, that's what keeps us coming back. Like I always, um, you know, hunting with my kids or new hunters, like you have to almost cater the hunt to them a little bit. And so you don't take them on the most grueling grinding hunt because they're not going to have fun. But, you know, it takes like learning that payoff and that, you know, like being successful on a buck archery hunt or you, whatever the case is, like you get that gratifying feeling and you were successful and you put all this hard work into it. And pretty soon, like you keep looking for that payoff. And so that keeps you grinding harder and harder and looking for tougher spots. And so you almost got to like with kids and new hunters, they got to see a little bit of that payoff and a little bit of that fun and thrilling close encounter, you know, before you can take them, you know, on on more, you know, exerting hunts or, you know, tougher country or to put more into it. But it, I, you know, and I think even as new hunters, like you have to learn that, like you have to feel that payoff and put in some hard work and, and find a little success. And then that'll drive you to work even harder at it, to find it again, to try to recreate it, it seems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I, I have friends that just tell me I'm crazy for taking every weekend of, you know, middle of July on and getting out of work and going straight to the hills for, until Sunday and beating myself up. And they're like, you're missing your summer. I'm like, no, I'm not. This is what I, this is my summer. That's what I love. I mean, what, no matter what happens in hunting season, I, 
I just love being up in the hills, scouting and looking at animals and seeing them in the velvet. And I mean, I can, you know, one of the, my favorite things to do here in the winter, we're, you know, working on power lines around here. We're pretty slow in the winter time, unless like a couple years ago when our entire transmission structures blew over, we were pretty busy, but we, uh, I mean, we get plenty of time. We live in one of the best winter environments for animals and I can watch elk and deer all day long, whether it's in the summer in the high country or on the winter, on the winter range, just how they interact and everything. I mean, I take that, you know, the enjoyment of just watching those animals, taking pictures of them just as much as that whole idea of hunting season and chasing after them. But, you know, it's a, it's a year round passion for all of us. You know, everyone that, you know, is probably listening to this and anyone that reads Eastman's and just social media hunting, all the above, it's a year round passion, no matter what we're doing. It's our respect for the animals is always at an all time high. Yeah. Respect and love for them. It is like there's something special at staring through your glass at a wild animal and and you get such an appreciation for the species that that you enjoy watching them and you enjoy watching, you know, cows or does or whatever the case, but then those males they're so much bigger, the big chest barrel roll, you know, and all the muscles in them and like they're the, you know, they're they're the the prime of the species or the top of the the species and then when you see like a you know those you know in hunting like we see those giant bucks or those giant bulls that are the exception to the rule that have lived multiple years in there that are so challenging to harvest and we have almost uh more of an appreciation for them but to sit and watch like a a good buck through the glass like or a good bull through the glass uh, i mean there is nothing funner on planet earth like that's where it's at yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, especially, you know, right at first light, just holding your breath for the, you know, your first animal, what the first thing in the basin below you. And especially when it's, you know, my, I, I definitely, this is something that I don't know if it was from my years of guiding and all the above, but I am horrible at wanting to hunt the same spot, even if I know it's a great spot and successful. I just, I love seeing new country, exploring new places. And, you know, there's places I've scouted in the past that I know 100% I could go in there and they're going to have a good buck probably in the area. But for me, it's more about the exploration of new country and seeing new things and trying to connect the dots, I guess you could say, from one peak to another. And I really just enjoy that aspect of, I kind of plan my scouting trips out to see new country. And every year I try and open up a little bit more of my knowledge base of different drainages and places because i think every type of country you cover you can learn a little something by how how the animals interact there that'll just carry on you know in your hunting and everything in the future because certain basins are going to have a different environment than others low country high country i think it can all tie together especially and so i just really love connecting the dots and seeing new places and then there's just that that tiny hope you know that dream that that giant's going to step out but if he doesn't i'm still going to have a heck of a time trying to find him every you know whenever i can and all the time yeah so many correlations uh, it seems like we're cut from the same cloth we're explorers by nature like it it's fun to explore places and even you know i find an area that i like like say a unit that i like it seems like when I go back to that unit for a second time, yeah, I'm not looking in the same locations where I harvested a buck or where I saw one. Like, you know, I might look at if it was dynamite or whatever, but I'm looking at the next spots I can go. Like you say, connecting the dots. And I, I love going to new places and new mountain ranges. And like, even if I'm successful in a place, I think, well, where am I going to go next year? But yeah, I think we're, I think human nature, like, like we're, we're explorers. It's built into us. Like we want to see something different. And there's something, you know, like it's always going to be challenging to take a mature animal, but there, there's something so challenging about going into a new place 
and figuring it out, like figuring out where the deer are, are bedding and where they're feeding and, and, and where they're coming out. And like when you can figure out a new area and then, you know, be successful there, you know, uh, uh, make a quality play or a quality stock or, you know, just even figuring out a new place and finding deer in a new place can be a challenge sometimes. But yeah. but that's so rewarding when you can explore new country and then find bucks in it or bulls in it or your target species in it. Um, I, just, I love that as well. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think I'm sure just like about anybody, I, I spend most of my winters with Google Earth as my number one pull up on my, you know, computer. And it's just it's just a constant, you know, looking over things and just saying that, you know, where could I go next? What that looks great. That looks, you know, incredible country. I want to go there and just doing it. And I've definitely got multiple places I, I plan on exploring before this season starts that I've never set foot in. And, you know, it's I could definitely spend more time in places I am comfortable with or I know and I will turn up good things. But it's uh, it's definitely the aspect of just exploring and seeing new things, new country and, you know, hoping for the best. Of course, some of the country I'm looking at is a little bit more in my, my favorite grizzly zone. So I, that's, I'm a little hesitant on some of that one. Cause I spent most of my time solo, but I've spent enough time in grizzly country to, I'm pretty comfortable around them. And especially in the high country, I'm not as worried about them when I can see for a, quite a bit of distance, but you know, it's, I'm not going to let them prevent me from going and exploring some new areas just because I'm, you know, just because they might be in the area. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, you, you can't let it control you. I live in grizzly country. I mean, I run in grizzly country every single day. The same trails that, like, Todd Orr got attacked in, in uh, okay. North Fork of Bear Creek right in there. Yep. I run that trail constantly. In fact, the year he got attacked, I probably ran it 15 times up that trail, you know. But, yeah, you, you, you could always get yourself into a bad situation. And I'm like you. I've got a ton of confidence in my skills and in the way that I handle situations. But you could always, like, Todd is a great woodsman, really knowledgeable. Like, he... He does uh, trail work all summer long. Like, he's been around grizzly bears. He grew up in this valley, you know. It was yep. just a bad scenario he ran into. And you could always get yourself into that. But, but yeah, you have to be prepared for those situations, whether it's bear spray or pistol. And, and you know, the, the backcountry... I mean, it's a scary place. Like, um, if it isn't grizzly bears, like for me, and I'm sure you deal with this in Wyoming too, that those lightning storms are gnarly in the high country, yeah. you know? And so, you know, yeah. I got to make sure that I'm not letting those control me as well, making sure that I'm still adventuring out and I'm still hunting. Like, you just, you can't not hunt a place because there's danger there, because there's danger with, with all backpack hunting. But that's part of the uh, lure to it too. It's part of the fun of it, you know, is the adventure. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, that's a, that's a really good point on the weather and the lightning. We were last week and on my, the last night of my trip, we were, I mean, we were probably at 10,000 a little over and we camped off the ridge, obviously in some little trees. And I mean, there was no weather on the forecast, anything like that. And by about right at dark of lightning, you know, one of those just typical high country, Western Wyoming lightning storms rolled in. And I mean, I got in my tent and it was lighting me up like daylight and it was right above us. I mean, it's not a good feeling, but you also don't want to pitch your tent on the top of a peak when there's no trees above you. And, you know, I have a little bit of the electrician in me from working on power lines. You do not want to be the closest thing to that strike. Man. That's for sure. Oh, right. But, 
Yeah, it's you know? spooky. I had to learn my lesson as a young kid. Like a, there was no literature on high country mule deer when I started. I mean, there was a few guys doing it. I wasn't the original or anything, but there wasn't many guys out out uh, uh, writing about it, talking about it. You know, it wasn't the information day and age that it is now, and it wasn't as popular. But getting back there, like. I didn't have very good lightning safety. Like I had been around lightning storms and I had, you know, I've been in some gnarly ones down on the river fishing and I've, I've been in some in the mountains, but you know, elk hunting when you can get in the trees and stuff, but that high country stuff, that's a whole different beast, you know? And so, you know, a lot of times I pushed it and I camped on, on saddles, on high ridge lines and in places um, that were pretty dangerous. And I had a, you know, I started making a lightning plan. And so I'd end up like in the middle of the night, you know, down, 500 feet of elevation riding it out in my raincoat and finally like you 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 start to wisen up as you get a little bit older and go i'm not camping on that top anymore i'll walk up there you know an hour before light to make sure i'm in the right spot but i have got to camp in a safe spot where i can ride out a storm but but learning those those tough lessons like it's so important to keeping yourself safe in the backcountry and and really like in today's day and age you know you can learn from podcasts and writing and and you can learn from different things but really experience is the best teacher and once you're laying in a tent and it's lighting up like that and you know even in a safe spot you feel unsafe like like all of a sudden the next time you set your camp you're gonna think about it you know you're gonna make sure you're in a good spot Yeah, you know, and I think that's a big thing for people that don't get to hunt the mountains like we do and don't live out here. You know, the people that listen to these podcasts of, you know, all different types just to learn more about Western hunting because they're going to draw a tag or they have their first tag. And it's you, the weather out here, I've always said I'd love to become a Western weatherman because you can be right or wrong 50% of the time and you still get a paycheck. It's the only (laughs) job you can possibly do that. And, uh, you know, you can look, I've been up here and, you know, hiking these Western Wyoming mountains and up on top where the entire forecast for 10 days doesn't even have like a 10% chance of rain. And then a storm that of all storms will come in on you two nights later that, you know, it just, it has its mother nature out here has its own weather cycle and you can never plan for it not to happen. And you always got to plan for it to happen. And the last thing you want to be obviously is caught when you don't want to be. So I always definitely, you know, through my years as well, growing up in central Idaho, backpacking in the sawtooths and everything, I uh, seen a lot of lightning storms there and learned a lot as a young kid hiking with my, my parents that have definitely, you know, carried over into my, how I set up my camps and kind of how I look at where I want to camp on the mountain. And I always like to camp up high to where I can be right out of my tent glassing in the mornings on scouting trips, especially, but you know, I, uh, I definitely kind of, think about it a lot more because I don't want to be caught trying to run my camp down the mountain in the middle of a rainstorm at midnight because I was just trying to push an extra 200 feet altitude, you know? Yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah. And, and you do being a high country mule deer hunter, you want to sleep as, as high on the mountain that you can be safe, you know, and you, yeah. you do, you get to be part weatherman when you are in the back country, you know, you're reading clouds and which way they're moving through and taking tabs on them. And, and the other thing is you don't want to get stuck on a stock on a buck way up there too. When a storm rolls in, I've had that happen yeah. a couple of times. Like even on a stock, if I ditch my pack and I go light, I always have my rain jacket. Like, um, even if it's clear blue sky, you know, I will have my rain jacket tied around my waist or in my pocket or whatever the case is because i've just been caught out in it too much and you know it's like that you know you could get hypothermia pretty easy but the the most dangerous stuff is is that lightning in the high country it's just a different beast than than being in the safety of your car in your home or even the safety of the valley floor like up on those peaks it's just a different beast up there 
Yeah, I agree. And I mean, as you know, as the popularity of it grows and, you know, luckily we live in the age where, you know, the, from where it was 10, 20 years ago in terms of backpacks, clothing, you know, all the tools we utilize to get it up in the high country, lightweight tents, sleeping bags, all that. We're in an age where it is just such, you know, it's at an exponential growth in terms of how great we're getting it because these companies are coming out with such incredible stuff. And it's enabling people that normally might not think of being in these places. They're able to get there, which is great because it's growing the sport and growing people's chance to, you know, do these things. But it also, you know, people that have never spent much time in the mountains really need to take into effect. You, there's so much that can go wrong in the mountains very quickly that you do need to be prepared for if you're if it's just not something you're used to. Man, isn't that the truth? It's it's so evident when you get in the mountains and and yeah, you're backcountry savvy. The decisions you make directly affect your safety and you 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 have to always be thinking, you know. Also when you're setting camps like more during elk season, but you know, you also got to look for widow makers. You got to look for yeah. big branches or big trees. Um never want to sleep in a burn or anything like that. I've seen more trees fall in those burns and oh. like um yeah. but but that wood savvy and wood sense, you're right. If you're not used to it like um you know, I always say the first three rules of, of backpacking or the first three rules of backpack hunting is safety, safety, and safety. Like you got to think of that stuff because yeah, your, your safety is directly related to the decisions you make. And, and, uh, you know, if, if you haven't spent, you know, hundreds of days in the wilderness is, you know, a lot of what it takes is a lot of experience in the wilderness and running into these different bad scenarios and, and, and being able to count on your wood sense to make good decisions. But yeah, I mean, if I was a, a new hunter out west like i'd hate to start over from scratch like where i started you know whether it was 20 years ago when i moved to montana or whatever the case is like i was a moron half the time i don't know how in the heck i survived a lot of that but i learned those hard lessons and i got smarter and i got better and i got my wood savvy and now i make smart decisions but yeah definitely if you're coming out on a hunt out west like um you know, make sure that you're you're gathering all the information and that you you take into account the the hurdles or difficulties that you might find or what Mother Nature can throw at you and and be prepared and make smart decisions because yeah there there isn't a help button back there you know maybe there is with these right. alarms nowadays but really you have to rely on on yourself back there to keep yourself safe. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's a great point you brought up about burns. You know, because. A lot of, you know, that's a big thing. You know, people look for burns that have happened in the past two to three years for places to go look for animals because it's phenomenal. You know, the forage regenerates and we get amazing growth. And, you know, especially around here, there was some big burns here a couple years ago. And I'm definitely going to go do some scouting in one of them this year and look for stuff. And it's the scariest place I have ever been on the back of a horse was pulling pack strings in the Frank Church through the burn because the Frank Church is always burnt. But, uh, a windstorm we were i think setting a bear bait quite a ways from our base camp and we were up high on a ridge at like 10,000 feet we went up this trail perfectly cleared you know great trail coming back down a windstorm picked up and i was watching trees tip over in front of us we probably had 20 trees alone across the trail coming down and they were still coming down with this wind and i mean there is nothing scarier than being at the whim of mother nature and 80 foot trees coming down you know and it's uh i think that's a very good point for people that you know think of hunting burns and stuff you got to think of where you set up a camp where you're doing anything because if wind comes up at all and i've really heard you know after that initial burn about three to five years you know after that initial burn happens that's when the main majority of trees and the root systems give out and that's when they really start coming down and you got to think about it because that tree might look sturdy in the ground but 
just a gust of wind. There's no root system that you can't tell is there, and that's when things can get, really go bad in those burns. Oh, you're so right. It's so scary. I've been I've been scared in the daylight, like you were on that yeah. horse, like scared in the daylight, and I'm in the middle of this huge burn where you know I don't I don't know maybe takes six miles to get out from either direction and i'm in the middle and the wind comes up and trees are falling all over the place and they just they're so loud like the the wilderness is so quiet by nature and you can kind of hear the wind and all of a sudden there's this huge crash and this tree falls and you know maybe it's you know a couple hundred yards away from you and then all of a sudden you hear another one and so pretty soon you're looking up and you're watching all the trees but yeah that is really spooky so yeah definitely got to watch out for those watch out for windstorms the burns are horrible for those but but even the the high country woods up there like um you can get some storms i had one um come in nevada where i mean it was knocking trees over and branches down yeah. and I, montana too like with 100 mile an hour winds like um you really got to look where your camp's at and just make sure you don't have a tree that's leaning over your tent because that'll kill you as quick as anything right you know and like that's it's one thing it's a lot of times you can find a nice flat spot at the base of these trees especially when you're in these steep high country mountains where flat is a very hard thing to find but you got you got to make sure it's the right tree to be uh, camping under because the last thing you want to do is hear that crack out of you know the out of your ear in the middle of the night because it's unfortunately it's definitely happened in the past and it's you know something no one wants to have that scenario brought upon them and it's a freak of nature type thing but it that all goes into just that aspect of the little things of safety that you just it's almost you know for some for those of us that have done it for so long it just kind of comes naturally now because you it's just ingrained in you you look at something that's how we think but for the people that don't get to de- do this type of hunting all that they uh they just you know it's something they do need to think about because that's just not something they would consider because they're considering so many other things into their hunt that they need to do to make it go right the last thing they're thinking about is the fact a tree branch could break off because it's cracked above them yeah, you're so right. Well, and it's it's so eye-opening too when you first experience that. Like um we you know, we drive and that's dangerous and you know, you could you could die in a car wreck, but gosh, when when you're in a dangerous situation like that in the back country, um that is really spooky. Like it it scares the heck out of you when you're back there. Your heart's beating fast and you you don't quite know what move to make when you're in one of those scenarios when you don't have a lot of experience or when you you first encounter them. Um so yeah, definitely something to prepare yourself for mentally and then they like say it comes second nature to us guys that have been in the woods a while, but you know, still we got to keep our wits about us too and make sure we're making good decisions and that's that's another thing too like we talked about hunting with a buddy that's another thing you got to be careful of is hunting with a buddy is good you can push each other but you definitely don't want to let your buddy push you into a bad situation or a bad scenario like you have to think for yourself back there and you you definitely don't want to let your hunting partner down but you know if it's something that you don't feel comfortable with you know you need to have a discussion about it and state your point and say no man i i don't feel comfortable camping here i don't feel comfortable on that stock but you got to make sure your voice is heard you know don't don't get uh like we can get a little headstrong in the mountains all of us you know and so and not that you have a bad hunting buddy that's trying to get you into a bad scenario but you know you just you just got to keep your sense about you you know and make sure you're making smart decisions and not getting you know peer pressured into something yeah and i mean and you know and all those things get exemplified when like for you and i hunting in grizzly country a lot you know i've talked to quite a few you know people that are you know have seen that i have 
spend a lot of time in grizzly country and they reach out just asking some very basic questions on, you know, could they're planning a hunt that are going to be in grizzly country. And I mean, the number one thing I can say when you're going to be in bear country, whether it's, I mean, black bears can be just as dangerous as a grizzly, but you know, everyone, you hear the name grizzly, it makes immediately, you know, raises the hair on the back of your neck because they're just, you know, they are something to see and behold in the wilderness and everything. But it's, you just, the biggest thing I can say is, I mean, having that clean camp and camping in a smart spot where you can see surroundings, not camping in a tiny little section that might be off the trail that seems safe to you, but you want to be able to see what you're doing, especially in that bear country, because if you're coming back to camp, you're hunting out in the dark every night. You're coming back after dark. A lot of times you don't want to be coming through thick trees into your camp where your flashlight can't hit a big bodied animal that might be sitting next to your tent. So, you know, a lot of that gets definitely amplified when you're talking bear country out here in, you know, Montana, Western Idaho or Eastern Idaho and Western Wyoming. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, um, that's interesting. So I definitely like, um, the open country, like you're saying, and being able to view bears and like stay out of their way or get out of the, you, you just avoid that encounter. I've always thought with bears, like you just don't want to get into that inside a hundred yards where they have to choose to fight or flight. You want to see them a ways off and then, you know, be able to give them a wide berth and give them their space in their country and, and not surprise them or not, uh, you know, not interfere with, you know, what they're doing and and same thing when i run into a bear even if i am at 100 yards like i'm not going to shout at him right away like i'm going to try to sneak out of there not give him my win not let him know i'm there and when i start to shout or wave my arms is when he recognizes me and starts to come at me but but yeah um the only thing that i would say is different or a way that i think about things too like you were talking the thick cover like Sometimes I almost like to camp in the thick cover because I figure that's not where grizzly bears are moving through. They're moving through True. main ridge lines and main trails. Like I feel like if I can get in that thick stuff, like I'm going to hear them coming through the branches. And I also feel like it's off the beaten path, kind of where there's nothing for them in there. There's no grass, no food, thick cover, tough to walk in. I feel like they're not going to like they're yeah. not going to get in there and into my camp. But I, I definitely agree with you doing all the small stuff, hanging your food every night never eating in your tent eating away from where you're sleeping keeping a clean camp it's so important in grizzly bear country and and really if you follow those basic rules like um you know they're they are so powerful and they're they're so intimidating but they're not monsters like the majority of them that you (laughs) run into they run away from you like a white-tailed deer you know they're it's only those select few that that get a bad attitude trying to protect a carcass sow in a cub or you know they smell food or something like that where you get a bad bear that'll come in that'll be a little ornery but for the most part you know they don't want anything to do with you either yeah definitely and i mean those years i guided up in the wilderness north of here i mean we ran into bears consistently all the time and we you know our wall tent camp we had three strand electric fence that was powered by deep cell boat batteries it pushed eleven thousand volts when we turned it on at night and i mean you would i'd wake up to bears hitting that fence growling and barking and then they'd go try it in a different spot and uh you know we we had a this kind of this little old old cabin that was built up in the trees that we'd store meat in for hunters and uh we had electric fence around it we also had 
one inch steel bar across the door twice through one inch steel eyelets. And we had a grizzly for two years who caused us absolute hell. And he, uh, he learned that he could rip the fence down with just one swipe. He just needed to take one shock. One night I woke up at like three in the morning and it was just, I mean, I was completely out of it from just months of guiding summer pack trips and then going into hunting season. You're just sleep deprived. So you're kind of in that la la land of waking up at three in the morning. And I, I heard the sound and I felt like I was dreaming. I was like, that almost sounds like a bear's on the roof ripping through the logs. And then it clicked. A bear was on the roof ripping through the logs. And uh, we ran out of the tent and put a flashlight on him and he was pulling a hundred pound elk quarter right out through the roof of the cabin. And, uh, you know, he was, but he wasn't a bad bear because anytime he was around people, when we showed up at him, he took off running. He was just an absolute nuisance. Yeah. Oh but man, that is they're just incredibly smart animals. And, uh, you know, I think people don't give him the credit for how smart they are. I put a trail cam up on that spot after that to see what he was doing. And I, I have pictures of him after we re, did the electric fence to make it wider and did a bunch of things. And he lays down in front of the cabin and just stares at it for like an hour where he's just thinking. And that was kind of an eerie feeling to think how much he was effort he was putting into figuring out how he was going to get in there. Oh, that's eerie. Yeah, no, I don't <laughs> like that one bit. Yeah. They, um, I notice bears a lot. They, they get to, they, they start to recognize or realize where there is a permanent camp, where there is a food source. You know, I know like, an outfitter camp here in our right, valley, yeah. like like constantly gets hit with bears. Was where us backpackers that are always kind of moving, the those bears aren't looking to get in our tents or you know to get our granola bar that's all wrapped in plastic that's hanging up in a tree thirty feet. But yeah. but those those camps that are used year after year where they do a lot of cooking in them or like you say elk quarters, you know they can smell that. It smell uh, what is it? Is it? I think I stated it wrong that they can smell a hundred times what a bloodhound is. I think it's seven times what a bloodhound is. But yeah, I mean a bloodhound, like a kidnapped kid that drives in a car, a bloodhound can follow right. where that car drove. Like what can a grizzly smell? Like they can, they can tell time with their nose. <laughs> they can smell like how fresh a kill is, you know, or or uh, you know if you've got a bunch of bacon grease, you can guarantee that bear can smell oh, yeah. it. And and they're curious, like you say, and intelligent, you know. So. Yeah, it's definitely you. Definitely want to keep as clean a camp as you can to avoid that that conflict with them. Yeah, and I mean for me, I I've definitely in my time around them just noticed that you know I'm really less worried about them in the summer and early archery. It's once the snow hits the ground, especially in October, when that's when I actually really pay attention to how they're acting. If I come up on them because they're in that mode of going into hibernation whereas earlier they're just not in that survival mode yet and i've never really had issues in early season and then in, i mean my summer pack trips i never we didn't pack an electric fence or anything and we had a full kitchen tent with stove and everything and i'd wake up with i always had a wrangler wrangle horse tied up because we'd kick the herd loose at night and to feed and graze and there was times i'd wake up and there'd be grizzly tracks in between my tent and the wrangle horse and it just walked right through camp of course you never tell the clients that are sleeping in their tents that happen you kind of walk and kick off the tracks pretty quick in the dirt but you know it's they're definitely not the monsters that people ingrain in their head especially people that don't get the chance to be around them like we do but you know if you're hunting that later season rifle season october you really do got to be careful what you're doing and you know at the very you know if you're so worried about it there's lightweight fence options for backpack hunters that weigh like 
two to four pounds. And I mean, for me, if I'm going to be hunting in an area I know is really, really thick with grizzlies, I'm hands down taking a fence. You know, if it's that later season stuff, if it's going to make me sleep at night, that's going to, you know, because if you're not sleeping at night because you're so worried about every stick that breaks outside your tent, you're going to be miserable on the hunt and just so fatigued. You're not going to be able to think straight or make big stocks. So, you know, a lot of that aspect, the extra weight during, you know, for something like that, for someone who's considering hunting in grizzly country is 100 percent worth it. Oh, okay. Yeah, they made some really good points there. So um, I, I hadn't put that together with bears that were getting ready to hibernate uh, later into the fall, like into that October were more dangerous to be around. But that's a great tip. Um, and, and then also, yeah, the electric fence and those packable ones. So, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't so sold on those things or sure about those things, but, uh, Cole Kramer that hunts those Kodiak brown bears, yeah. he was telling me about them too and how well they work. So now that's, that's two trusted sources that tell me how well they work. So, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. A guy had to bring those in. Um, so being an electrician, um, is there anything you could do to, um, is there like an invention you could do to make your tent lightning proof? Yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, that'd be nice. I definitely deal with the high voltage stuff with power lines, but we haven't figured out how to corral it yet. That's the scary thing about electricity is, you know, our job is just to try and get it to everybody's house and keep your lights on or restore them when they go off. But if we knew how to harness electricity as well as we want to without it causing problems, we'd be a lot better off. But that's what's so scary about lightning is you just you'd never know, you know. Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, you never know. Well, I was thinking about it like a house, like a like a house is grounded, right? And so lightning, right. it, it, it won't, it's not supposed to strike your house because you've got this, like, can you explain that better to me? Because I'm uh, going to gonna butcher this as I start to explain <laughs> it. Yeah, I mean, you know, with lightning or anything, you have to, you know, electricity is always trying to find its biggest route to ground, closest route and easiest access to ground. And, uh, you know, that's how you get electrocuted or anything like that. From our aspect, working on power lines, the most dangerous thing you can do is put yourself in the path of electricity that wants to get to ground. And that's how people in our industry get killed every year. And, you know, with with lightning, when you see those big strikes, you know, they're going all the way to ground, whether that's through a tree or not. You know, and the scary thing for us is a human body is what, 70 or more percent water. We are a perfect conductor for electricity. We are Basically, we have very little resistance in our body. So when electricity is looking for the easiest route to ground, it's going to choose us over other avenues. So when you have like your house, if it gets struck, you have numerous copper ground rods going out of your house from when they build it and put in your electric service that ground it out. So that helps. That's what copper is an amazing conductor. So electricity will follow that instead of going into the house, just find that route to ground. So, I mean, if you were in the mountains I guess, you know, one aspect you could think of is, I mean, if you were really, truly worried about it, it was would be trying to run copper from like your tent poles to and dig into a copper, you know, a ground rod. But the chance of it working with high voltage like that is just probably not going to happen. OK, um, that was my million dollar idea as a lightning proof tent that I haven't told anybody about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be there. The, the technology's probably getting there. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, no, it's so interesting. Yeah. No. It, and lightning is you, you just um, get into a safe spots like the low spots. And, um, you know, I like to get into, you know, I, I like to be in the trees, usually smaller groups of trees 
trees, not by the biggest yep. one, you know, just because I'm not the tallest thing out there, you know, I'm trying to yep, find exactly. low spots and, and, uh, so that's, and, and also staying off the ridge lines, the peaks, you know, when it's coming in the high spots, I've, I've seen lightning, like I think some rocks, um, you know, it's drawn to it and, and I've seen lightning strike the same rock on the same peak three or four different times in one storm, you know, which is yeah. pretty wild. It, you definitely wouldn't want to be sitting there during a storm. No, definitely not. And, and that's just, you know, it's weird how the electrons and neutrons, protons, you know, the whole, that aspect of chemistry, you know, going that far back, that's how it all works. It's just a, it's an imbalance of charges and the negative attracts the positive. And that's how basically lightning is formed is a difference in charges and then it eventually jumps and that's what creates your spark and shoots your shoots it from the sky to the ground and so you know it's some maybe an imbalance in the ground in that specific spot that just creates it in that area more than others and that's why they hit it and i remember years ago in the sawtooth when i was way young hiking with my dad we were at the top going towards the top of a big peak and uh you could it was kind of getting cloudy but we hadn't seen any lightning and we got to the top and I'm pretty sure if I remember right, the phenomenon is called St. Elmo's fire. And it was a, basically, it looked like a blue haze around this top rock on the peak. And, uh, my dad saw that and basically grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and drug me off the mountain. But it basically, I mean, as I grew up and kind of learned more about it, it was, that's exactly what it was. That was the static charge building. And it wasn't too long before lightning started. And the first one was the top of that mountain. Wow, that's so if, wild. If you see that, if you see that blue haze or fuzz, and I mean, it truly is a visible blue. You know, it's just very weird. It's kind of eerie to see, but if you see that, it you don't you just turn and run. <laughs> Man, that's wild. Uh, what did you call it again? Uh, something Same fire. Fire is kind of what I've always heard it as. Gotcha. That is wild. Yeah. So it's a blue haze. You can actually see the electricity in the air around that spot, huh? Yeah, I mean, it was I was way young and I've never seen it since and I think it's a pretty rare thing to come across, but uh my we knew to get the heck off the mountain pretty quick when we saw it. Okay. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> uh amazing some of the things you see uh being in the wilderness, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, from, you know, animals and all the above to just nature in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um Steven, man, I've really enjoyed talking to you. This is a great conversation. Um, I could have you on here for a couple hours, no problem. But uh, I think we should check back in after season and see how your season was. We'll connect and um, kind of talk about our trials and tribulations, successes, and hopefully not too many failures. Yeah, no, sounds good. We don't want anybody to have to be on an eight-hour road trip to listen to us because I'm sure we could keep talking for plenty of for plenty of time. <laughs> for sure, you're a wealth of knowledge. Uh, I really enjoy your Instagram page. So, uh, your Rosso underscore uh, uh, Wyoming, or is it um, just Wyo? Wyo, okay. Um, yeah, you have a great Instagram page. Um, yeah, I'm psyched that you're writing for the blog. Um, I got to go back and check out a couple of those articles, but man, I just really appreciate you being on and having an authentic conversation with me. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been fun. I always love talking high country mule deer and anything and everything that has to do with the back country with everyone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Right. All right. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks, Brian. Much appreciated. All right, guys, that's a wrap. 
really fun conversation with Stephen. I think I could have talked to him for half a day about backcountry hunting, and I might in the near future too. We got to get him back on and and talk about his hunts this season. I know he's got some great deer hunts planned and and some great elk hunts planned. Uh, that bighorn sheep uh, story was absolutely amazing. Um, hunting him in in I think it was Hell's Canyon in there. Um, just wild the effort that it took to kill that ram. I, I just love hearing those stories. They they motivate me. They inspire me. And and that's what it takes is just next level effort. And and that always seems to pay off in the long run. Um, you know, it doesn't pay off every day or every hunt, but in the long run, it pays off in consistent success. So uh, thanks to Steven for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Sponsor for today's show is Onyx Maps. So Onyx has just changed the way I scout and hunt. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. If they weren't a sponsor, I'd still be talking about Onyx. Um, I absolutely love their program. Uh, I love the aerial imagery. I love the topography, private, public. It it, it it lets you hunt with confidence. You know where you're at on property. You know the exact uh, lines that you can hunt, the borders that you can hunt, and you can see it in real time. Um, you can still use your, your phone in the Onyx uh, app, even if you don't have cell coverage. Uh, your GPS will still work. You just save or catch your maps, and that's exactly what I've been doing. I, I saved all my maps for Alaska, used Onyx pretty much the whole time, and, and doing the same thing here in Nevada. Catch my maps. I have a couple more to save here before I pull out of the driveway, but uh, saved all my maps there. I have uh, uh, locations marked. I have vantage points marked. You're just able to dissect the country so much better than, than than other programs or you're able to dissect it in real time. So I really appreciate Onyx for sponsoring the podcast. They just put out a, a, a great product. And yeah, over there at Eastman's, um, barely checking in with the guys here and there over there. I know they're busy with their hunts and I'm busy with mine, um, but uh, we're going to get together here and record some podcasts after the season. Um, they should be just some great ones as I, I know those guys got some really high quality hunts. So really excited for that. Uh, I know we're just uh, pushing out the magazines, uh, writing another article for Eastman's bow hunting journal. That's going to be a good elk article. I'm excited to write and get out to you guys. And um, yeah, we're uh, this, this Alaska trip, gosh, the footage from this is is just insane. Um, it's some of the best stuff I've ever done. I can't wait to share it with you guys. So excited to see that footage put together. Uh, excited to get over to Nevada here and, and uh, just keep things rolling. But um, yeah, thanks to Eastman's for everything they do and their support on the podcast, the magazine, the filming. I just... I just have this amazing opportunity and I just want to, I just want to make the most of it. And, um, and put out the the absolute best content I can. So um, make sure to check them out. If you're not a subscriber, make sure to check out Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal and Eastman's Hunting Journal. And with that, I think I've got all my work done. I think I'm going to hop in the truck and get down the road to Nevada. It's going to be a hot hunt down there. I know uh, temperatures, you know, they'll be a little bit cooler up around 10,000 feet, but uh, it's still going to be a warm weather hunt. So I've been training a lot with uh, heat training, with doing my runs in the hottest part of the day and a lot of sauna work and getting ready for it. But uh, it's it's a backpack hunt, which I just absolutely love and in some of the most pristine country the West has to offer. So, uh, so fortunate to have the tag. And again, just want to make the most of that as well. But uh, I really appreciate all the support from you guys on the, the podcast and social media and through Eastman's. Uh, it really means the world to me. The, the, the comments that you guys leave me or the personal messages about your success. I uh, just got one the other day, a bear success and, and, uh, 
attributed a lot of it to the podcast, which is just great. It just means the world to me. I just want to keep sharing next level information and help you guys on your path to, to finding success and enjoying the outdoors and, and, uh, uh, do the best job I can I can do and and uh, from there let the cards fall where they where they may but um, yep thanks you guys I appreciate it I'll check in with you guys next week hopefully with a big Nevada muley.